0: Would you please turn to Revelation chapter 6? We've made it to chapter 6 today, planning to cover this entire chapter. So you find that, please, and then stand. And once we have all gotten there,
1: I will read the passage for us. Revelation 6, starting in
0: verse 1. Now I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals,
1: and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow,
0: and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. And another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from
1: the earth and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. When he
0: opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. And I looked and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it, had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And a white robe was given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind, then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. And every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has
1: come. And who is able to stand? Let's pray together. Our Father, these are sobering words that we are reading here. There is coming a time when you are going to deal with sin
0: in judgment. You're going to deal with sinners who refuse to accept your free salvation.
1: Lord, give us understanding. Some of these are very strange ideas to us.
0: Difficult, I'm sure, for John to write and difficult for us to envision.
1: And yet, Lord, you've given this to us for our good, for reproof, for instruction, for correction, Lord, that we would be thoroughly equipped to do your will and to do your work. So, Father, we ask that you would give us understanding this morning that your Holy Spirit would
0: speak through me and that your Holy Spirit would teach us your word. May we understand exactly what you want us to this morning.
1: And would you show us exactly how you want us to apply this to our lives today? Lord, if there's anyone here in
0: this room or anyone who is listening or watching online who does not know you as
1: Savior, who has not come to the Lamb for salvation, May this be the day of salvation.
0: Have your will in our midst, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. As I'm sure you're aware, this weekend marks the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 terrorist attack. And you've probably seen it online or watched the news, heard the news. It's been a sobering weekend. I'm sure you've experienced many emotions, as I have. Probably anyone in the room over the age of, let's say, 25 could tell us where you were and what you were doing when you heard about the first airplane or whichever airplane you heard about in the process. When you first heard that news, you could probably tell us where you were, what you were doing, and what you did the rest of that day because it's etched in your memory. But I have a different question that I'd like for us to consider this morning as we start out. Not where were you 20 years ago, but rather, where will you be when the events of Revelation 6 take place? Are you going to be in heaven watching these events from a heavenly perspective, the way John was getting
1: to do here? Are you going to be on the earth with unbelievers who are enduring these judgments? We have seen in the last two studies, chapters 4 and 5,
0: worship taking place in heaven. That is the theme of those chapters. Worship of God, the Creator. Worship of the Lamb, our Redeemer. But now the focus shifts. And beginning in chapter 6,
1: the word is wrath. We see it at the end of this chapter, the wrath of the Lamb. I have one simple idea for you this morning, one that you already know, but I
0: want us to see in this chapter, and it is that God is sovereign. What does the word sovereign mean? It means he's in control. It means that everything that we see happening in this chapter is exactly the way he intends for it to happen. His will
1: is being done on earth as it is in heaven. Is this something that God can't wait to do, he can't wait to unleash his fury on the earth? No, not at all.
0: We know that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He has promised his people, we saw it a couple chapters ago in Revelation, we see it in First Thessalonians, that we're not appointed to wrath, he doesn't desire to punish people, but he is a holy, righteous God, and he must judge sin. And he did so. Jesus his son came to earth perfect god perfect man and yet he was sacrificed and the wrath of god was poured out on him for anyone who is in Christ for anyone who has received salvation
1: provided by the blood of the lamb we don't have to face that wrath ever again but for those who refuse for those who do not not call on
0: Jesus to save them. What we're seeing here is what awaits them, a taste of it. And we'll see by the time we get to the end of the book what happens to every unbeliever. So we're going to see that God is sovereign. He is in control. This chapter, if you have headings in your Bible, it probably talks about the seal judgments. And it occurred to me, we have some younger people in the room, we're not talking about the marine mammal seal these are seals more like a wax seal or something that's on the scroll that's what we were talking about last week who is worthy to open the scroll to break its seals and to open it that's what we looked at and so this is what happens the lamb is going to open these seals and there are judgments that come with each one we're going to see six of the seven seals opened today you say well what about the seventh one seventh one won't come until the beginning of chapter 8, so it's a little ways off in our study. We're going to see six of them today, and the first four, if you've ever heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, that comes from this passage that we're about to deal with. Go back with me to verse 1. We'll go back through it phrase by phrase, verse by verse. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice like thunder, come and see. So this voice coming from the midst, from one of the four living creatures, and he says, come. When did this happen? I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals. So this is the first seal, and the lamb is going to open these seals successively, one at a time, and unroll more of the scroll, and then break another seal, and unroll more of the scroll, and we'll see what's inside each time. The lamb will break these seven seals, and each one, is a demonstration of God's judgment. I believe this is future. I told you from the outset of Revelation. I believe the outline of the book is back in chapter 1, verse 17. The things that have been, the things that are, the things that will be. We are in the section now of the things that will be. It is future. It has not happened. And so, I believe what we're seeing here is the tribulation period. Seven-year period. We're going to get to see much more description of it as we continue in the book of Revelation, but this seems to be the beginning of it or leading up to it, starting out the seven years. And there's a sense in which these sealed judgments run the rest of the tribulation. Because when we get to the seventh seal in chapter eight, the seventh seal opens and guess what's there? Seven trumpets. That's chapters eight and nine. When we get to the seventh
1: trumpet, There's an interlude, but guess what comes after that? We have seven bowls. And that's in chapter 16. So, this is a progression of the judgments that are coming
0: on people during what we call the tribulation. And in a technical sense, the last three and a half years of that is called the Great Tribulation. We'll we'll deal with all of that. But it is a horrible time to be on earth, very dangerous things happening on earth and when he opened one of the seals as we've seen the pattern going over and over again i saw then i heard so what did he hear he heard one of the four living creatures saying come and see now who is the living creature talking to he's talking to john because earlier we come up here with his invitation back in chapter four No, it doesn't seem that he's talking to John. He's talking to a horseman who's about to come. So we're going to see that four times. Seal opened. He heard one of the living creatures say, come and see. And and see may not be in your translation. That's fine. But come can also be translated go. So what's going on? The lamb is opening the seal and there's a summons for this horse and horseman to come and they are sent to the earth. Verse 2, and I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So here's the first horse, and I mentioned, these are the four horses
1: that go with the first four seals. What do they represent? God's judgment on rebellion. Why horses? I don't know how many
0: of you have grown up around horses or or worked with horses. I don't know a lot about horses. Went to a camp when I was young. But why horses? That is a symbol of power. That was the military strength of that day. To try to make it more appropriate to our day and age, it would be like <clears throat> a fighter jet an attack helicopter, a nuclear submarine, something like that. That's why horses. Why a white horse? Why is the first one a white horse? Well, I learned from a website this week that during ancient times, victorious Roman generals entered their conquered cities in chariots drawn by white horses. So the word white indicates triumph, victory, a
1: successful war. John MacArthur said, the animal represents an unparalleled time of world peace.
0: But it's a false peace that we'll see is short-lived. Then it says, he who sat on it. Who is the rider on the white horse? You might expect, you've seen all the cowboy movies, if it's a white horse, we expect that to be the hero, the good guy, right? That's what you might expect. And you look in a study Bible commentary, you may come across someone who's saying, this is Jesus. I don't believe it's Jesus. There are other possibilities, but I do not believe this is Jesus. Those who are saying that know that later in the book, it's chapter 19. You're welcome to turn there if you want to. I'm going to reference it, but I'm not going to read the entire passage. Revelation 19 shows Jesus on a white horse. And I have a table here comparing what we read here to what we read in chapter 19. So the, the, horseman here, the one riding the horse, doesn't get a name here in chapter 6. He's unnamed. But when we get to chapter 19, he's called faithful and true. He's called the word of God. He's called the king of kings and lord of lords. There's no question that the person riding the white horse in 19 is Jesus. The weapon. In chapter 6, where we are today, the weapon is a bow. There's no mention of arrows, which is interesting. But the weapon is a bow. When we get to chapter 19, we have a sharp two-edged sword, like we read in chapter 1, proceeding out of his mouth, that idea. So that's another difference. Both of them have at least one crown. That's similar, but it's a different word for crown. In chapter 6, the rider on the white horse is given a Stephanos, That is a temporary crown. That is the laurel wreath wreath that we think of for Olympic games, that type of thing. So that's a temporary crown, given to, meaning it didn't belong to him. It was given to him, is what it says there. What about in chapter 19? Jesus has many crowns, different word, diadem is our English word. What is that? That is a royal crown doesn't have to be given to you, and it's not temporary. It is permanent of royalty. And then, who does the rider in chapter 6 hang out with? Who follows him? Who follows him? War, famine, and death are the other riders. What about chapter 19? Jesus is followed by armies dressed in white in heaven. So you see there are a few differences. There are actually several. You could dig out some more if you want to. I do not believe that Jesus is the rider of this horse in chapter 6. Next theory you're going to come across, is it the Antichrist?
1: And I'm going to say, maybe. Maybe. When we're trying to figure out
0: what's literal and what's symbolic in Revelation, context is always the key, right? Right? and I was looking at John Phillips' commentary this week and came across this statement that he made. The context provides the needed clue, for the Holy Spirit himself interprets the symbolism of the fourth horseman. We're not there yet. We'll get there in a few minutes. But the fourth horseman has a name. The fourth horseman is death. Now, do you know anybody named death? Do you know any angels named death? Careful there. You don't. We don't know any being in the universe named death. And guess what? Hades is following hard on his heels. So the four horsemen of the apocalypse therefore are not persons but personifications. They're symbols. And I believe that's probably the case. Like I said, I'm confident this is not Jesus. Could be the antichrist. I think these are personifications as we're going to see as we go through these. So I have a chart for you with that as well showing the four horsemen and we'll go through these verses as we Get to them, but white, red, black, and pale. And I believe this first writer is a personification of false peace. Deceit is another thing that could go in that box. Lies. And then we're gonna have war and famine followed by death. For any of you wondering, we will have more to say about the Antichrist when we get to chapter 13. A little ways off, but we'll get there. We'll talk about the beast. And then if you want to look at that, look at chapter 13 or Another parallel passage would be 2 Thessalonians 2. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. You'll read about the one to come who is the Antichrist. So I believe that the rider on the white horse is bringing a false peace, deceptive peace.
1: And it's going to be temporary, it's not going to last. How do we know? Well, let's keep reading, verse 3.
0: When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come and see another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another. And there was given him a great sword. So this horse, fiery red, or some people have said blood red, this is speaking of war. God will grant this horse or horsemen the power to take away peace from the earth. What's that going to end up being? Worldwide war. We have two named wars, World War I, World War II.
1: This will truly be a world war. He's going to take peace from the earth. Peace is from God, and God is going to allow this horse,
0: horseman, to take away the peace, that people should kill one another. It's going to be violent like in the days of Noah, there are some parallels there. And there was violence all over the earth, and there are people killing one another. This horseman, the weapon he receives, is a great sword. Now, this is not the sword that we had at the beginning of the book, back in chapter 1, and then later the church that was described, Jesus, as the one who has the sword. That is a broad sword, a long sword. This is something that you would be using in a field of battle. Maybe longer than a dagger, but something that you can use to assassinate, to kill, to do hand to hand combat. That's what he has. Now, that's war. What usually follows war? Famine. Look at verse five. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil or the wine. Black signifies famine. You can look this up on your own if you'd like, but Lamentations chapter 5, black is the color for famine. So this world war is going to mess with the food supply, and also so many people are going to be killed that farmers, workers are not going to be available, and it's going to result in shortages pair of scales is probably what you, exactly what you pictured. It's a balance. It's how they measured
1: mass at that time. So this is pointing to rationing.
0: Leviticus 26 describes eating bread by weight. That doesn't mean you have really heavy bread. It means that there's a scarcity, that prices are very high. It's not a good thing. And it says, a quart of wheat for a denarius. And you're saying, okay, a quart of wheat, I have no idea what that's going to translate to. Well, a quart of wheat is what was given to soldiers, for example. It was intended to be enough for one person to live on for one day. Some of you are aware of the denarius, a silver coin in the Roman Empire. That was a day's wage for a laborer. Normally, in normal circumstances, Purchasing power looked like this. Eight measures of wheat or 24 of barley. So what we're seeing here is it's costing eight times, some people estimate up to 14 times more for basic things. Now I double-checked, minimum wage right now in North Carolina is seven twenty-five dollars per hour. So you multiply 7 dollars by eight hours, a normal working day, you're at $58 per day. So imagine at this point, early on in the tribulation, the food shortages are going to be enough that you're going to have to work all day long to provide one of two things. Either enough to feed me decent food for a day, not rich food, just enough for me to live on. Or what's this about barley? Barley was normally fed to the animals, the livestock. But people, poor people, would eat it. So, the idea is okay, you get three quarts of barley for a denarius for that $58. These are not good grocery prices. That's what you're gonna get. That might be enough to feed your family. Probably not. Depends on the size of your family. So, am I gonna feed myself? Am I gonna try to feed my family? Forget any livestock that they had, don't have anything left over for them. And what about the oil and wine? There's some different theories there. Normally, those products were more luxury items, people that the, things that wealthy people could afford. So it may be saying that at this point in the tribulation, early on, these food shortages are not going to affect those with money. That disparity throughout time between rich and poor could be. At the very least, it's saying that these other items that would normally be staples— are not going to be affected yet because we 're going to see later that there are there 's locusts and other famines and other other influences as we get further into these parts of the tribulation i 'm in verse seven, fourth seal when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, "Come and see and I looked and behold a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was death, and Hades followed with him, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger,
1: with death, and with the beasts of the earth. Pale is the way many of your
0: translations are going to have it. That's what we have here in the New King James. Some will say pale green, some will say ashen. The idea is that this is a yellowish green color. This is a sickly color. It's not a pleasant color. We're talking about, the color that is characteristic of the
1: decomposition of a corpse. Death is what I have in my translation. You may have plague
0: or pestilence. So this is probably the plague or pestilence that will follow the war and famine. It all goes together. Bernard McGee said, during the tribulation, death will be unbridled. It will run, ride unbridled. And the Lord Jesus warned about this. There are many parallels. I'm going to leave them to you rather than take time this morning. But Matthew 24, there are a lot of parallels between Matthew 24 and what we're seeing here in Revelation chapter 6. Here's what Jesus said in verse 22 of that chapter. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Is this kind of heavy so far? It's really heavy. It's been a delightful week to study. But here's the good news. There is good news in this, all right? The good news is that death is ultimately going to be destroyed. Let's not forget that. Death will be defeated. Again, Vernon McGee. At the great white throne judgment, death will be finally destroyed. And this is confirmed by Paul, who wrote, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. John writes later in chapter 21 of this book, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. I look forward to that day. But that day isn't the day that we're studying right now. What about Hades? What is Hades? We talked about it a few weeks ago. It's the place of the dead. So what's going on here is that they are working together. Hades is his sidekick, I guess. Death claims the body, while Hades claims the soul of the dead. And it says that power was given to them over a fourth of the earth, 25% of the earth. Current population of the earth is approaching 8 billion. It's at 7.9, give or take. Their websites, you can see it going up. If, if you'll let me round that off and say it's 8 billion, then what's a fourth of that? Make it easy math. 2 billion with a B, people. You say, I don't know how to fathom that number. I don't either, but maybe this will help. Take the entire population of North America. Take the entire population of South America. Take the entire population of Europe. Take the entire population of Australia and the surrounding
1: islands. Oceania. Combine them. Now you're approaching 2 billion. Gone.
0: Now, I don't know how many people will be raptured because said before, I'll say again, I believe the rapture takes place prior to what we're reading here with these seals. So however many believers there are alive at this time have been removed. But if you just take the entire population, we're talking about up to 2 billion people will die during this seal, this fourth seal. How does this happen? Well, power is given to them. You see, this is not in their control. This is God who is sovereign who is in control of these things and meeting out these judgments. And he's allowing these horsemen, riders, to receive these things. Because it says power was given to them to harm, to affect one-fourth of the earth. Earlier, we saw in verse 2, the word given. In verse 4, the word given. In verse 4, the word granted. These things are being allowed to go through. David Guzik said, though all hell breaks loose on earth, God is very much in control.
1: He still holds the scroll and still opens the seals. How are the people dying? This unfathomable number of people dying says to kill with sword,
0: with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. Well, we understand the sword. That's war. We've talked about that. We understand hunger. And we've already talked about famine. Death is an interesting phrase. To be killed with death. Don't we all get killed with death? Well, that's that word for pestilence. Same word we talked about a few minutes ago. So pestilence and by the beasts of the earth. That's the one I can't tell you for sure which one it is. So I'm going to tell you the three most common theories. Could be actual wild animals because there's famine. There's not the normal stuff for them to eat, so they may be more prone to attacking humans. That could be it. Every other time this word beast is used, as we're going to see it throughout the rest of the book, it's talking about, for example, the Antichrist or the false prophet. So it may be talking about the world leaders, whether those specific leaders or not. And then a third possibility is pandemic plagues. And this author said flu, bird flu, AIDS, Ebola. Now, if I had preached this two years ago, how many of you all would think anything of a pandemic?
1: We wouldn't. But living through this one, we're aware how easily these things can happen, and yes, that people
0: will die. In this case, a very contagious one, if that's what's being said. Now, there are two responses that we're going to see in the rest of this chapter. Two responses to these first four seals. One response is in heaven, and it's those who've been martyred. And then we're going to see the response of the people back on earth. So for the moment, we're shifting in verse 9 back to heaven. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? John sees
1: the souls, which is an interesting thought. He sees souls under the altar.
0: Why are they under the altar? Well, in the Old Testament, what was beneath the altar? It was the blood of the animals that had been slain. This is the blood. Those who've been slain for their witness for Christ. They've been poured out as an offering to God, the way Paul put it in 2 Timothy. The souls of those who, who had been slain, I believe this is talking about people who've been slain since the beginning of the tribulation period to where we are at this point, which could be the halfway point. Not going to be dogmatic on that, but this is probably the first three and a half years, and then it begins to get really bad in what we call the Great Tribulation, the second half. They're crying. They are praying with a loud voice that says, How long, O Lord? God's people in suffering have been asking that a long time. You can read Psalms, and it'll say, How long, O Lord? How long until you're going to act? How long until you're going to What are they saying? Avenge for our deaths.
1: Doesn't sound very kind, does it? It's an imprecatory prayer. Well, Jesus told us,
0: the church, that we should love our enemies and pray for them. Right? And we should. But what has happened? I believe what has happened is the rapture of the church. The church is not on the earth at this point. It's in heaven. And these people have been killed on the earth. And it would seem, using some logic, that those who killed them are still alive on the earth. And so these are praying, God, do your work, judge, avenge. This phrase, we've seen it before, we're going to see it many more times. Those who dwell on the earth. These are unbelievers. These are those who are hostile and rebellious toward God. Verse 11, here's the response. Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were,
1: was completed. God's answer? Rest a little while. Wait a little while. It's hard when that's the answer. We talk about, we pray, and we get an answer of yes, no, or wait. The answer to them is wait. Daniel Aiken put in his commentary at this point that God's delay does not mean he does not know. It does not mean that he does not care. He knows, and he cares. So rest. Justice has been determined, and justice will be done. Now, nobody in this room is facing martyrdom today. Most of us aren't facing much in the way of persecution yet.
0: But many, if not all of us, are facing some sort of trial or test. And the application is the same. Trust. Rest. Know that he will do his perfect will in his perfect time. How long for them? Until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. Now, if you have a translation that italicizes the words that aren't in the Greek manuscripts, the texts that we have, then you notice the number of is italicized and were toward the end is italicized. So there are two possibilities for this meaning. It could be that there is a specific number of people who are going to be martyred and God knows that number. And at that point He that will be the end and he will judge. Could be. It's also possible that it's not a number involved. But rather, what does it mean when the Bible says complete, fulfilled, perfected? That these who are bearing witness for me, because that's what the word martyr means, those who are bearing witness
1: for me in this tribulation, they will be perfected. And I will rescue them when it is time or I will deliver them when it is time.
0: Did any of you wonder where these believers come from? Because I said the church has been raptured. So who are these believers who are being martyred? Well, there will be people who are saved during the tribulation. We won't call them the church, but there will be tribulation saints is what we most commonly call them. And they will have a very difficult time. We'll get to talk more of them in, in the weeks to come. But there are those who are saved. How are they going to get saved? Because who's around to witness to them? Well, God has a way to get his word out. Bibles are not going to be raptured. So people will be able to see, think of all the options on the internet right now. People looking for the truth are going to be able to find the truth. And the Holy Spirit can speak to them in the same way that he does to us. That's a possibility. We're going to read next, in the next chapter, about the 144,000 witnesses. Later on, I think chapter 11, we're going to read about the two witnesses. And then, before it's all said and done, there's that one angel who gets to fly through heaven, and he's announcing the gospel. So God can get his word out, and he will, and there will be people saved during this time period. Verse 12, I looked when he opened the sixth seal. Last seal for today. And behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it
1: is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. We've gone back to the physical world. This seems to be a universal judgment that it
0: affects everyone on earth, every part of the earth. It is a great earthquake. And some of you have been through earthquakes. Some of you have been through large earthquakes. This seems to be an earthquake that's all of the fault lines all over the earth, all at once. A great earthquake. The moon will become like blood. It's possible that these are interrelated, some of these. That if there's earthquakes happening all over the earth at the same time, there are also going to be volcanic eruptions. What gets sprayed into the sky could be why the moon looks red and the sun is darkened like black. It says the stars of heaven fell. And you're thinking, I know how big I've heard in science class that the stars are compared to the earth, and that would obliterate. Well, the word star there is not a star out in space, out part of the galaxy. It's any celestial body. So this could be an asteroid. This could be a meteorite falling. And you can do some research on that too. They do great damage, like large explosions, atomic bomb-level damage if they hit the earth and then the sky receded as a scroll i don't even know what that means
1: but it seems that the sky as we know it disappears and rolls up every mountain and island was moved we said last week what does every mean
0: it means every it means that the continents may be realigned that Things are shifting all over the place. The planet may not even be recognizable already at this sixth seal. So I said we would see the reaction in heaven. Those are the martyrs under the altar, the souls of the martyrs. And now we're going to see in these next verses the response on earth. And the martyrs in heaven were praying. They were praying to God. And guess what? The inhabitants of the earth are going to be praying, but they're not going to pray to God. They're going to pray to rocks. Look at it with me. Verse 15. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? Now, if you look at that list, kings all the way to every free man what you're going to see is seven groups of people from the very richest and most influential to the people nobody knows about. And they're all affected. God is no respecter of persons. At this point, as judgment comes, everyone is being affected, and everyone is afraid. So what do they do? They hide themselves in caves and in rocks of the mountains.
1: And what are they praying? Rocks fall on us. Hide us!
0: I don't know how they know, if they get some sort of glimpse into heaven, to know that it is God who is doing this, but they they have an idea that it is the one who sits on the throne. This is the way it has been since the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve sinned, and what was their response? I want to cover myself. I want to hide from God. And as we talked about from Psalm 139 earlier, how's that going to go? You're playing hide and go seek, with an omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God. And you're like the little kid standing in the corner doing this and thinking you're going to win hide and go seek. Because there's no place to hide. But they're trying. They're hiding in those caves. Notice too, I thought this was amusing. There are no atheists or agnostics left on the earth at this time. None. Because they all know what's going on by this point, and they all know it's coming from God and from the Lamb. Here's the phrase, the wrath of the Lamb. They're going to have an understanding that this is coming from the one who is in heaven. And this great day, we see that several places in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord, the day of his wrath, the day of judgment. And a lot of these descriptions we've been reading about, especially in that sixth seal, are what we find in Joel and other
1: places. This seems to be now in the second half of the Great Tribulation. And they ask a question. Who is able to stand? Who can survive this?
0: Now, we can answer that a couple different ways. One is that in the next chapter, we're going to see the 144,000 sealed by God. That's one answer. Those 144,000 are going to be able to stand. But the fact is, those who have fallen on, humbled themselves to the grace of God, the saving grace of God,
1: they're the ones who are going to be able to stand, and nobody else is. What is the main point of this chapter? As simple as it may sound, I believe it is that God is sovereign. He
0: is in control. He is working all of these things according to his perfect plan and in his perfect timing. Someday, This world as we know it, it is going to fall apart. Peter said it's going to burn up. It's going to come to an end. And his perfect plan and his perfect will is going to be accomplished his way at that time. I asked at the beginning of the sermon,
1: where will you be when these seals are broken and this scroll is unrolled and these judgments come? Are
0: you going to be in heaven? Are you going to be with Jesus? Are you going to be... Observing these things take place. Or are you
1: going to be in the midst of all that? Because you've refused to call on Jesus, the Lamb, to save you. We have an option. We can stand with the Lamb in heaven. Or we can stand before His wrath. If you're here this morning or you're joining us online, have you
0: sought salvation in this lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? You say, I don't know how to do that. It's not hard. You realize
1: I can't save myself. I don't know what's going to happen to me when I die. I know I've broken God's laws. I need help. I need a rescuer. I need a savior. It's Jesus. You simply ask him to save you. God, I'm stuck.
0: I need your help. I cannot do this on my own. Would you save me? Would you save me from my sin? Would you save me and give me your eternal life? And he will. He promises to in his
1: word. You can run to him today. Believers, is this real to you? Does this just seem like sci-fi? do you give any thought to the people around you
0: who are going to be living through this if they don't call on Jesus
1: does it enter our minds does it influence our thoughts our actions our conversations and those of you who
0: are in a trial today not like this kind of trial but you're in a trial god knows and god cares will you trust him will you rest in him while you're waiting
1: for his answer. Bow your heads. Close your eyes, please. Our Lord and God, when we look
0: around us at the mess our current world is in and read of the things in this chapter of
1: how bad it's going to get, it's very comforting for us to know that there is one seated on the throne. And that you, Father, are in control of all these things, and you are entrusting your Son, the Lamb, to accomplish your will on this earth. Lord, may there be enough fear in this chapter we've been studying together
0: For us to make certain that we are trusting in Jesus for salvation and for us to be eager to tell
1: others about the good news that is in Him. But may our only real fear be you. The one who created everything, the one who redeemed all those who will come to you. The one who is currently sustaining everything and holding it all together and the one who does all things well. Show us your will. Comfort us by your Holy Spirit. Encourage us in what you call us to do today and this week. In Jesus' name, amen.